welcome to season three, episode two of Nobody Else for This, a Diet Culture Takedown. I'm Megan. I'm Kendra. It sounds like Megan's really missing some theater. I am. It's very Broadway of you. Oh, thank you. I hope you enjoyed episode one of season three. And we hope you went and got all the books from Rebecca. Yeah, 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 yeah. In efforts to be more accessible, we are putting a transcription of the uh, show into our show notes. There will be a link there. So please go there and read that if you so wish to do. This episode was recorded in July of 2020. So we were months into the pandemic. So you'll hear that referenced. Do you remember when we thought we were just going to, everything was going to be shut down for two weeks in March and we'd all, everything be back up by April? I remember Who remembers that. that? Does anyone remember that? Such what, a weird. What sweet summer children we were in that time. Just precious little babes. Just, just trusting what people told us and. Wow. We were cleaning our fruit and our bags with Clorox. We were. We were. <laughs> I mean, to be really frank, I did not do that, but I a lot of people did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I get it. Just wanting to oh, do yeah. whatever you could do. Of course. I mean, of course. Yeah. It all, you know, makes <sighs> sense when you think about everything. So just so you kind of know where, you know, what the context of this interview was, that's what's going on. We're very excited to have Curry as a guest for this episode. I think you're going to love their interview. Something that we talk about in snacks is watermelon. Now, I know that it's September when this is coming out, and watermelon is more of a summer thing, but it is not a summer thing to Kendra Crabtree. She loves it all year long. No, ma'am. That would be a correct statement. It is (laughs) not a summer thing to myself. Tell us about your love of watermelon. Okay. And I, here's the truth. Yes. I love watermelon. Do not put anything on it. I don't want you putting mustard on it. Like this TikTok trend that went around. I don't want you putting salt on it. I want it cut up and I just want to eat it. And it's got to have the um, seeds in it. None of this seedless nonsense. I discovered, and I don't know if these are old or new, like it might be a new flavor, but in the summer, I really like those the thick, big um, fruit bars that you can get. And I discovered a pineapple flavor, which is, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud, but like really close to tying with watermelon these days. Oh, did you hear that watermelon? Pineapple. Pineapple's coming for you. Don't get jealous. But I also found watermelon ones and they are so stinking good. But I think that watermelon was like a big thing, continues to be a big thing for me is because what I remember as a child about it is that my grandmother grew it on their mini farm up in Ohio. And, um, and so we would just walk out and pick one and come in and clean it up and eat it. And so it's like the experience of eating the watermelon, but I do really love watermelon. Yes. You know, I can relate to that because the past several summers, my mom has helped my grandparents with this big garden and my grandparents live on a farm, like they're retired. So they're renting out most of their land now, but they've been doing this big garden every summer. And so it's, you know, this summer was like eggplants, corn, jalapenos, bell peppers, melons, just lots of stuff. And So I was out there uh, picking stuff and making strawberry jam and canning it and blackberry jam and canning it. And let me tell you that it was a holistic experience because nourishing your body when you're hungry is an act of resistance. And also nourishing your body with things that were grown with your hands and things that Mm. were grown with your family's hands Mm -hmm. feels uh spiritual spiritual yeah it was great i really i really loved it and i hope that you our listeners have a chance to experience that at some point in your life even if it's like growing herbs in your window yeah kind of one of the smallest easiest things to do yeah yeah and then also frozen i'm also here for a bag of frozen peas or whatever like Oh just, yes. Just yeah. frozen food. Yeah. I think that sometimes we, I do sometimes I get into this headspace of, Oh, well, let me buy all the fresh thing, you know, mm-hmm. quote unquote fresh mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. that's somehow better than the stuff in the, <laughs> 
in the frozen section, I'm like, my life isn't good with fresh things. My, the way my life works (laughs) doesn't really enable me to eat all the fresh things. I end up throwing it all away. Same. Yeah. I do. And actually the frozen stuff is the better way for me to go. And there's no difference. Yeah. Listen, it all fits and let's not forget how much accessibility and other intersections affect what we can and can't do. Absolutely. You do you boo. You do what works for you. Yep. Enjoy this episode. I know you will let us know what you think. And as always in this episode, we talk about some things that are very personal and can be triggering, triggering to some folks. So take good care of yourself while you listen. And as always, this podcast is for information and inspiration purposes only. Enjoy. And now it's time for Shut the Fuck Up, where we take a deep dive into fat phobia in pop culture. However, today it's going to be fat phobia in academia because I am currently getting my master's in social work. And guess what? Fat phobia comes up all the time. And what I mean by that is stuff is fat phobic. So here's the thing, y'all. I got into this because, and by this, I mean, I decided to get my master's in social work because I want to be a therapist. So you can go the clinical route in order to do that. And part of the reason that I did that is because I found myself in therapy with counselors that did not understand, while they were amazing, did not understand fat phobia as a social justice issue Mm. and had not gone down that road of body liberation and all the things that we talk about on this podcast and did not understand that it intersects with other systems of oppression. So for example, I was in therapy once and I said, you know, when I'm out in public with my husband who is straight sized, I feel that people are looking at me and thinking, why is he with her? Because I am fat. And my therapist said, well, has anyone said that to you? Which (laughs) yes, they had literally. (laughs) But and also, she couldn't believe it. She, right. he, they, I don't remember. She. And, and also everyone has told me that through coded language, through movies, TV shows, songs, uh, personal interactions, etc. And she was like, that is a cognitive distortion. You are projecting that onto other people. She wasn't entirely wrong. Because I hadn't, you know, I'm not checking in with everyone that I walk by. Hi, um, excuse me. Do you think that I deserve to be with this man who's thinner than me? I wasn't doing that. And I actually have no desire to do that. (laughs) But her reaction to that was, I felt minimized. I felt like my feelings were very minimized. And Mm -hmm. I felt like she wasn't taking into account my lived experience in a fat body and how multiple systems oppress fat people, multiple institutions oppress fat people. And so I thought I want to be a therapist that gets it and that can speak to their lived experience and that can help people through their own body liberation. And instead of saying, well, that's on you, you need to do the work to change your thoughts and beliefs, which maybe that's part of it, but also The responsibility is on culture and on institutions Mm -hmm. to dismantle the ways that they oppress fat people. Right. And I think that that is transformational in therapy. That's going to build a therapeutic alliance with people and going to enlighten them and say, Oh, this isn't like, I haven't failed myself. The world has failed me. And I thought social work really sells itself on understanding things like racism, homophobia, transphobia, ableism, classism, right? Mm. Like they'll get it for sure. I just know they will. (laughs) Always the optimist. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And um, they didn't. (laughs) They don't. So spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. The the people, the people in the ivory towers don't get it. (laughs) 
Oh God. So I just want to tell a real quick story that happened recently in one of my classes. I've now taken like around 10 courses, right? Cause I've done like a, I've done three semesters, a fall, a spring and a summer and fat phobic content has come up in seven out of 10 of those. So it, it's happening a lot. And, and the main uh, place that it's happening, I'll say is in social work a lot this ACEs study is, is quoted and ACEs stand for adverse childhood experiences. It's fascinating. It's very valuable work. However, it lists as a negative health outcome to having adverse childhood experiences. It lists obesity. Now, Mm -hmm. if you have listened to our podcast, you know, that words like overweight and obese are pejorative to fat people because that one, they're a medical diagnosis. We don't even have time to get into why that's fucked up, but it's devaluing and pathologizing bodies, right? It's dehumanizing. So I have pushed back a lot when I can, and it keeps happening. And as I am also, uh, in the trauma certification program, I'm learning about trauma, right? And so I don't want to overstate my reaction to when this comes up in reading slides, PowerPoints, lectures as a trauma response, because I'm not sure that's the right language for it, but it is triggering. And Mm -hmm. because it keeps happening, my response is becoming bigger and bigger to it because I'm not seeing being seen. I'm not feeling like anyone's listening and I don't feel like I'm being seen as a human, right? So And you're having to shoulder while taking in all this other information in order to do this work that, you know, you're, I'm going to use the language called to do, (laughs) but you know, this, this work that is in your bones to do. And, and it's coming from, you know, essentially your superiors that are, so you're having to, it's not just the dynamic of, oh no, hold on. We got to address that information. It's the dynamic of this person kind of like, is in charge of whether I pass this class. And so it's a, it's a totally second level of navigation in how to address these situations and take care of yourself and make it through the program. You know? Yes. Kendra nail on the head. It's so great, Kendra, that you can understand power differentials after listening to me tell this story. Whereas it doesn't seem that my, some of my professors do understand that weirdly enough, even though it's literally part of their slideshows a lot of times. Hmm. So I want to tell you about the last instance that happened because I learned a lot from it. So it was a reading that was assigned And the reading, it wasn't like a study. It wasn't an article. It was like someone recounting their experience. And this person described someone that they came in contact as morbidly obese. And they don't have any interaction with this person. It's literally one sentence. And then that person is never referenced again in the whole thing. And it was definitely done in a derogatory way. I'm not sure what sort of information we were supposed to take away from that or how that was supposed to inform our understanding of what he wrote. But, you know, as I've said, this is the 106th time that this has come up. So I'm like getting on my email back on my bullshit, except it's actually not bullshit. Like, hey, I was thrown off by how this was said in the article that you assigned, um, said everything I just said to you. Those words are considered pejorative blah, 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 blah. I would have liked, because I've realized you have to be real direct in what you're expecting or else a lot of times they think that you're actually asking them a question and they start explaining to you how the thing was. Yeah. Why they said the thing they said. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, I would have liked either a content warning or even better, like a full class discussion on this. And to the professor's credit, he did set it up in class. Like, how did you all take this Uh, reading, did you feel like some of his judgments came out in the way that he wrote about people opening it up? And I was like, I have thoughts. (laughs) Um, And so I said all those things that I've said a couple times now. And one way that he responded was to say, you know, in social work throughout this program and in your future careers, 
there's going to be a lot of upsetting information that you're going to come across. And so if I were to do a content warning for this, I would have to do a content warning for literally everything I assign. So I sat with that a second <laughs> and I knew right away. It okay. Okay. So do a content warning for <laughs> everything that you assign. Are right, you like, kidding me? Yeah. yeah. Like if it could be triggering to your students, don't you think a heads up might be appropriate no matter what the content is? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's definitely one way, but Kendra, then you're asking for someone to take responsibility for the work that they're doing. And sometimes that's hard, but here's and heaven other... forbid they only have to do it once because it's not right. like they're teaching different material the next time they teach that class. Exactly. 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 So I knew right away when he said that, that my body didn't feel right. That response didn't feel good to me. It felt like he was very much minimizing my experience. So guess what I did? I hung around after class. And I love it. Can we talk a little more? And I said, hey, if this writing had included, maybe it was talking about a gay man and it had the F word, or maybe it was talking about a black person and it had the N word. Would you have provided a content warning then? Come on, Megan. Come on, Megan. Now, I want to be very clear that I do not think that the O words are as triggering to people as those other two words. I want to acknowledge the history and the systems of oppression that make those two words so harmful, right? I am not equating them, but I am saying that all three of those things are pejorative to people. Yep. And have lots of intersections, right? Like it's not just privileged people that can, that encounter fat phobia. Also, as I was thinking about it, I was like, "Mm, hang on, hang the fuck on. I live in this body every goddamn day. I am not fragile. I come up in contact as we all do in bigger bodies with fat phobia, sizes, and weight bias every fucking day, right? We cannot escape it. I am not going, Ooh, I can't see this spooky word when I'm encountering <laughs> this thing. What I need to know is if you as a professor co-sign this bias, because if you do, then that's fucked up. And that's yeah. what's emotionally dysregulating to me and interrupting my learning process, frankly. Right. There's a difference in assigning a fat phobic reading and a reading on fat phobia. And in my opinion, only one of those needs a content warning because yeah. you're only co-signing one of those. How did he respond to you when you, when you said, would you have put a content warning? He said, that's a good point. Uh, I'll think about it. That's something. It's something. Let's not forget. This is a program on mental health. These are professors that are often practicing therapists Yeah, that preach things like empathy, understanding, holding space for things, triggering things, trauma. And a lot of responses is not when I'm looking at them, their little box online to lean in and go, oh my God, I'm so sorry. It is to back right the fuck up and go, oh, well, I didn't, I, I, like, wow, did you not just practice square breathing? Like, why don't you take a second to do some square breathing friend that we just talked about in that earlier slide so that you can take that in and realize I am not trying to call you out. I'm hurting as a human being and you aren't acknowledging that this is a real system of oppression. Yeah, absolutely. I could talk about this for days. I love a fiery Megan. Yeah. You know how she gets. Megan gets fiery. So to fat phobia in academia, we say, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. That's what we say. (laughs) We are so excited to have Curry on the podcast today. Um, Curry, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you? Sure. Um, I'm super, super happy to be here and excited. Um, I am Curry, as was stated. I am a hairstylist and I make jewelry and I do some modeling and I'm definitely big into the body positive, my body, my rules. I'm going to do what I want to do, wear what I want to wear, when I want to wear it. Um, got a couple of degrees in theater 
I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. I've been here off and on. My parents moved me here in the late 90s. Um, I was in junior high school, seventh grade. So I've left here, but I always managed to come back. Um, but yeah, I'm just an all-around kind of creative person. I call myself a Black creative, yeah. So Curry, will you tell us your preferred pronouns and your preferred body size descriptors and just like generally any descriptors or labels that are meaningful to you? That you might sure. Like? So you can prefer pronouns are she, she or they. That's either one is fine, interchangeable, does not bother me. Preferred body pronouns. This is really interesting. No one's actually asked me this. So I'm really excited for this question. I don't know that I have any preferred ones. I use plus size a lot. I use fat a lot. I use plush a lot because Ooh, I think I like I'm that. nice and soft. There's something for people to... Exactly. It's a nice, yes. warm feeling. Um, body positive. I do identify as queer, a black queer woman. Um, it's typically how I describe myself. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. I am polyamorous as well, and I'm pansexual. So there's a few more descriptors, but you know, it just happened to be out there. Cool, cool, cool. I love plush. I'm not sure I've heard that one before. Yeah, yeah. I hashtag that one all the time. I'm sure maybe if you oh. click the hashtag on Instagram, I'm I'll sure a bunch, a bunch of my stuff would come up because I, I like that. Yeah, it's I warm and it's so. lovely and nice. Yeah, yeah. And, and like it means yeah, more yeah. than just size. Yeah, it's like I'm yeah. cozy and yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a lot here. Yep, exactly. So I yeah, love yeah, yeah. I love plush. Yeah, but yeah. yes, I think those are most of my descriptors. I'm sure I have others that come in and out, but those are the main ones. So as we've been doing these interviews with people, we most we've realized that most people have like a moment in their childhood where they started believing that their body wasn't okay for some reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're wondering if you had an experience like that and did it have to do with size or gender expression or race or any other intersection? So this was a really interesting question. I was thinking about this one and I think it definitely wasn't at home. I was always, while I was always like a bigger kid, um, it was always like an encouraged thing. Like my grandmother was always pouring into me. She had this little saying that she used to make me say about being drop dead gorgeous. So it was never anything. It was a good thing at home, my size. You know, I was big, big boned maybe you might hear that term, but it was never anything that was negative. But I feel like because number one, I matured so quickly um, as a young girl. And like I had, like, I don't remember not wearing a bra. I don't remember mm-hmm. like wearing a training bra or being like, and I'm sure that I know there was a time when that was, but I don't, those memories don't really exist. So I feel like I really noticed that when I was overdeveloped in comparison to most of the other girls around me. So mm-hmm. I'm five, six, five, seven. <clears throat> and I was that height in fourth grade, like fourth or fifth oh, grade. Wow. wow. So when most of my peers were probably a foot shorter than me, you know, if not even shorter. So I think, that was when I began to be really kind of like self-conscious and like trying to find ways to make myself like smaller or more Mm -hmm. petite or more for me, like more feminine or more dainty because I wasn't dainty because all the girls in my class were half my size. Um, Mm -hmm. So I feel like that was elementary school, you know, second, third, fourth grade when I was really kind of developing ahead of the curve that I became really, self-conscious about it and then I think once I moved to the south um it became a thing just because I grew up in Denver Colorado um Mm -hmm. until you know I was 11 or 12 something somewhere around there and then moving to the south the dynamic just everything changed um all of a sudden things were focused in on my race things were focused in on like the classes that I was taking or how smart I was Mm -hmm. and then being in a bigger body that only like added to that that only added fuel to the fire you know for people so yeah I think those are the two moments in life when I remember really being concerned about it um or like knowing that my body was different and having it affect me and then that of course progressed though you know through high school then you talk about you know going to college and I think college is eventually when I did low carb, when low carb was super in like Atkins. Yes. When I dropped a ridiculous amount of weight, I went from like a size 22 down to like a size eight or a 10. 
Wow. Um, and that was when I saw the huge differences in how people responded to me. Even though I was the same person, I had not changed. I was no different. My personality was the same. But all of a sudden, because I was smaller or because I could go and buy things in Banana Republic now instead of Blaine Bryant, and how people responded to me um, because of that um, and how good it felt, but also how weird it was to like look at people and be like, but I'm not any different than the person who was in the size 22. I just had more weight on my body. And now mm. I do not. So I think it's always a funny thing. This is kind of off topic, but something even with like coronavirus that I really, with COVID and all of this that I've had to realize is that there's always like a time where I'm always like discontent with my body, but there have been times where my body was actually the thing that I thought it needed it to be, even though in my mind, I was like, you need to lose more weight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think the main thing or the thing that I'm honing in now, especially being over 30 is like being content with where my body is now, even if the goal is like, yeah, I do need to work out more or I do need to, you know, be more just health conscious or wellness. It's like, enjoy it now because I don't always want to be looking back and being like, well, you were good. Yeah. So why were you so negative and so ugly to yourself? Like you were fine. Right. There was nothing wrong. Like you look great. So I think I'm just saying like just to be present in this body and to be thankful for it as it is, how it is, mm -hmm. whether I gained weight in a quarantine or not, like it's fine. Yeah. It's okay. Um, and I can be happy and still feel good about it and feel good about myself and be content because this is where I am right now and I can't always be thinking about this future body or being concerned with this past body that I want to get back with like this mm -hmm. is what I have mm -hmm. right now um but yeah that was I think definitely elementary school was the first time but then I think you just kind of go through this cycle and I'm sure you guys can agree with that where it pops back up and you're reminded about your size in comparison to someone else or being told that you're cute for a big girl or being mm -hmm. told that you're cute for a black girl, which is something that I've been told for a dark skin. So all of those sorts of things kind of playing in and being like, but mm. why is that even the thing that popped into your mind? But I definitely think you go through cycles. And I think the people company you keep around you too. Like, you know, mm. the friends I had when I was younger are not the people I would have around me now. Right. Because there Same. were so many ways, <laughs> whether, yeah, they were rude about my body or not just ways that, we unhealthily thought about our bodies, right. how we were eating, the things that we were consuming from the media. Like it was just all like. Was not. it like a bonding thing to like, cause I know I would like bond with friends over like trashing my body, like being like terror, you know, like saying like, Oh, I hate this. I hate this. And then, you know, a yep. friend chimes in. Hating it like that sort of thing. Or even to the point like of like holding yourself cap in captive captivity, right? Like, not wearing certain things because certain parts of your body you just can't deal with. Like there was a time when I would not wear a sleeveless shirt mm. or I felt a certain way about my arms, but bigger arms just kind of run in my family and it is what it is. But I literally would be like about to pass out mm. in a hundred degree weather because I needed to wear sleeves and everyone else is like, so I think also kind of coming into that freedom, but also realizing how you talk to yourself or even talk to other people about your body is really how you perceive yourself. And so if that's mm. what you're saying, that's what you're actually believing. And so then you're setting yourself to be up in this whole cycle of like negative thinking. Yes. Which isn't even really worth it at the end of the day. Like, why did I even throw myself? Like, why do I care what somebody thinks about if my arm jiggles or if right. it like I waved too hard? Like, who cares? Mm -hmm. I was excited to see them and yes, my arm jiggled. <laughs> your arm probably jiggles too and you're teeny tiny like right I think just letting go of all of that but yeah I think definitely I think negative self-talk just for me generally I the recognition what I had to recognize was like dude you talk so dirty to yourself like mm -hmm. all the time mm -hmm. like even when you haven't done anything or you're just relaxing like it's a negative so I think flipping that script was a big piece of me being like well I don't really care if you think I'm fat or if you're going to comment on it it's so, so tricky. And then also tricky because I grew up in the 90s. And when you think about culture, then just everything that you saw, even when I think about wearing low-rise jeans, I'm like, how the hell did I wear low-rise jeans? 
I, still I did don't not. Know how I did it because I think I have to cover my belly button now. If my if I'm Same. real weird, like if it's sitting on my belly button, I'm like, no, I don't want this. <laughs> Same. Like, I it's want not comfortable. Everything like I right it, under I want my it, boobs. Like, up under my boobs. <laughs> yeah, I'm like here. I'm like let's pull it up. <laughs> Plus, I have no way. I'm super short-waisted, but I'm like, how did I ever wear low-waisted jeans? But when you think about that, like the aesthetic, like the slim, mm -hmm. I'm not eating, I'm drinking Diet Cokes, and like, it was just like, what, 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 what were we doing? Like, what was that? But yeah, so we were consuming so many things, I think, that were negative, too, because like, while well, now, plus size is everywhere, right? Or at least we have, we can see ourselves reflected. Yeah. When I think about then, like, there wasn't really much of anything aside from like Lane Bryant. Right. And Ashley Sorry. Stewart, which wasn't mm -hmm. like the best. And like, as young as I was, it was, like that was it. Yeah. There definitely weren't like models. You couldn't just open up a magazine oh, and no. see like, you know, now you can see them with stuff online, you know, you can come across all body types, but you didn't see any of that. So everything that you were consuming was about diet culture. Mm -hmm. Even when I think about doing Atkins, like that was the obsession. It was like, well, I'm going to I'm going to do it. And even like the the quote-unquote fat character like sidekick characters in movies or in shows were still all thin like they were yep. maybe yeah. you know what maybe i mean a size, size 14, eight a size like 10 yeah. i mean they 12. were yeah but yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't like you were yeah so even like, like the representation was not representation hmm. you know if yeah, anything was it was just they were small fats if anything if anything, they were small fats. But it was I mean, like I, America Ferreira, like was your sidekick friend. Clearly, like, like a twelve. Like, or 12 and even when that. you think about, it, she's like a twelve. Yeah, like she's at the small petite range of it. Yeah, I think that was typically what what you saw. But then you still ended up. Even for me, it was like, okay, well, if I can be that kind of plus size, then I'll be okay, right? Like yes. if I can be this specific. Like if I can be a twelve, fourteen, and be sculpted in this way, yes, then. I'll be okay if I'm plus size as opposed to like, well, I'm an 18, 20 and it's not, you know, like no one's going to want to see that or deal right. with that. Like, right. I think it's dealing with all of that too, within like even being plus size, all the acceptance that comes for how, if your body looks this way and you're this mm -hmm. size, okay, great. But yeah. if you're not shaped for what is typical or hourglass or big mm -hmm. boobs or big butt, then we don't really want, we don't want to see it or it's sloppy or we don't want anything to yes. do with that. Like, you know, thinking about all of those, I think dynamics, within the range of being fatter plus size as well. Yeah, Absolutely. it's still su it's such a narrow way of that you can, are allowed to be. So you are a hairstylist. Yes. And do we know that bodies are politicized, especially black and brown bodies and yes, queer bodies are. and fat bodies and disabled bodies? Yep. How have you experienced hair being politicized? Um, I mean, if we're going to talk about hair, hair is just a microcosm of the bigger greater world that we live in so the same way that we're dealing with all of these are not that this is new but now folks are aware of the racing issues that exist in this country it's been the same thing for hair um from the moment so the reason that i became a hairstylist hairstylist was second career for me a few years back after burning out on theater and being in the arts and being like i just need something completely different yeah um so i grew up kind of always being into hair my grandmother was a hairstylist I've had all the hairstyles, but for whatever reason, it never clicked for me about going to hair school until, you know, six or seven years ago. Um, but one of my main reasons was going was that my hair experience as far as going to the hair salon um, as a young Black girl was so all over the place and so inconsistent. And it was never a moment of pamper. It was always a mm. moment of like panic and anxiety mm. of like, being in the hair salon all day or not knowing if this stylist is going to spin me around and I'm going to look like James Brown or am I going to look like the Halle Berry photo that I showed you? Mm. Most likely I was going to look like James Brown. Mm. Um, so just having all these improper experiences, not ever getting any consultation, not ever having anyone tell me like, okay, these are the products that you can go home and try. These are some steps that you can do. So a big piece of my deciding like, okay, I'm going to go to hair school was that I just wanted to provide black women with an experience to be pampered, to like actually mm -hmm. come to the salon and be relaxed mm -hmm. and not to come and be in a state of like frenzy because literally black women have like hair PTSD. Wow. They literally have like trauma surrounding different experiences, being left under the dryer for forever, you know, sitting all day and not being seen even though you booked an appointment at 10 o'clock and the stylist doesn't get to you until you booked at 10 a.m and the stylist doesn't get to you till 3 p.m and you sat mm. there the whole time mm. and no acknowledgement you know just 
all of those pieces were a big piece of was like, okay, if I'm going to do hair, then I want to do it so that any black woman, any woman of color that comes and sits in my chair can actually feel relaxed, can actually feel empowered about their hair, but they can actually offload all of this trauma that they have and actually feel kind of secure and great. But I mean, the industry, you name it. I went to um, Aveda for hair school. I spent most of my time at Aveda teaching the other students about black hair and how to do black hair without actually enjoying my hair experience. And but then also, getting paid. Oh, not getting paid. No, right. none of my tuition changed. But then also being told on the flip side that I shouldn't do black hair. Um, and literally having educators tell me that. Um, so, yeah. And why? I think back about it now. I'm like, Did they say why? Um, I think the general thinking was that because there's no money in black hair or that in order to make money, you need to do European hair or in order to be mm. seen professional, you need to be doing what the standard is in the hair industry, which is European's white hair. That, that is the standard. Um, so if you're trying to change that standard, right, you're trying to change those levels of beauty, which was the beginning of what I was doing, even if I didn't realize it. Um, my whole goal was kind of to change the aesthetic around black beauty because so much of what, even what you learn in hair school about black hair is still from this Eurocentric view. Yeah. It's from this view of like, well, we want to tame it and we need to mm -hmm. control it and we need to smooth it down as opposed to like, no, how do we actually physically work with this hair and look at black hair and think of it as beautiful from the jump and then create curriculums and standards of beauty etc from that on its own not in comparison to this other thing because they're like fabric mm. right we have all these different fabrics but you don't treat all fabric the same you don't mm. toss your silks in with your wools like you don't do that yeah so you have to learn and then once you learn you can move in between all of those fabrics you can wear them out you can do up seasons all of that but so much of what you're taught, so much of the education, even the classes that you take, um, it's all surrounding like this one version of what black hair needs to be. Or if you're going to succeed and get to the top of the top of like a celebrity hairstylist, then you have to be delivering these specific aesthetics. And that's just not how I do hair, number one. But also those aesthetics aren't actually the aesthetics of like, I love lived in hair, like how women's hair is every day. Yeah, it's great when it leaves the chair. It's always perfect. But like, what does it look like six hours from when it leaves me? Yeah. What does it look like two days from when it leaves me? Um, and how do I communicate that to the client to understand that like, it's okay. It's not going to be as pristine. It's not fresh out of the package day one. But just because it's not that doesn't mean that your hair is no longer good or that you have to mm -hmm. damage your hair or that you have to keep doing this one thing over and over again because you think your hair is not good if it doesn't look this certain way. So yeah, it's, it's everywhere in the hair industry. Mm. Um, and it's funny. That's why I just kind of chuckle with all of this. Cause it's funny to me because everyone's like, Oh, we didn't know it's new. And I'm like, mm. this is not new. I went to hair school, like I said, almost seven, eight years ago. Yeah. And that was going on then it's gone on in any career that I've been in really. Yeah. Where it has to do with black culture, black, anything. Well, no, that's not, we're not going to focus or hone in on that. Um, and that just, it can't be anymore. Like, that's not the way that things should be. And honestly, if you're a hairstylist and you're a good hairstylist, you can do it all. Right. That's right. And most of the people that I left hair school with, I can tell you right now, if you put both of us in a room, they cannot do it all. Whereas mm -hmm. I can actually do all of it. Meaning you yeah. guys can sit in my chair. Anybody could sit in my chair, but the standard needs to just be that you do it all and you do it well and you learn it, but not, oh, well, black hair is not, or white hair is just, it shouldn't even be right. that in the first place. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, I watched an interview with, I believe it was Gabrielle Union talking okay. about this in, on sets, like going and just knowing she was going to have to do her own hair. Basically, yeah. like the assumption was that, and um, that whoever that, you know, finding out, oh, it's a white, person that's gonna do my hair okay well, then I'll just like take care of it or make or up too, your own hair person with you like and that's a thing wow. that's very prevalent in the industry still I still have friends who call me I have friends who are model people in New York who call go sit on set somebody ruins their hair like ruins it meaning like I have right. to go back to square one and start over um wow. 
or on set and the stylist just doesn't know how to do your hair. So your hair is either just left. So you either come prepared and I've definitely done that of like, okay, let me have things at least be okay. So if I get there and no one can do anything, I mean, I always do that. Even now, like my makeup is always in my bag. So that if I go somewhere and there's someone who cannot execute my makeup, I can do at least a few things yeah. to get myself on the same page as someone else. But no one's talking about that. You're not right. getting paid for that. Right. It's so much extra labor. Yeah. Yeah. You're not getting credit. I'm not going to be in the credits as the makeup artist. That's right. Um, but yeah, that happens a lot and it's still happening a lot yeah. um, and if, in the industry. And- and if like I'm in, I'm going to preface, I'm going to disclaimer this by saying I, this might be an ignorant question I'm about to ask and I'd love for you to call it out if that's the case. But my question yeah. is, um, well, as someone who wants to be supporting black business and black business owners, I've only ever had white people do white women do my hair. Yeah. And because my ignorant assumption is that black people black women black people do black hair do black hair and white, and white women white do, do white, white hair. hair and i would That's love to be able to support yeah and i would love to be able to support um a black hairstylist here i live in richmond so you know yeah. here in richmond and this is just like making me rethink you know unlearn that that i don't i guess i said i had a question i'm not sure i really do now but <laughs> so here's what i'll say to this definitely not an ignorant question but here's one thing that i like to tell people all the time about the salon industry because it has been so polarizing white hair world and black hair world are like night and day mm. so your experience and i'm not saying it's always going to be the case but your experience going if you go and find the black hairstylist that you want through your hair totally fine do that but also know that you're stepping into their world so you yes. should expect to be uncomfortable. It may not be exactly line up with your experience that you've had with white stylists, but this is also how we begin to make close this divide, right? Because it shouldn't be, like you said, we shouldn't even have to think, but that's the same thing even when I went to hair school. So I knew all of the typical things about styling here, but then when we started learning about like highlights and hair color, which is what I love to do now, that world was foreign to me because my mother, me getting highlights at 10 or 11, <laughs> no <laughs> all of my white girlfriends though that was the standard like yeah they were getting highlights doing a round brush and I'm like what is a round brush? I don't <laughs> even know what a round brush you know like all of these different things but at the end of the day it was just a skill and a tool and I learned how to use it and then it was no longer a black white thing so yeah I think exactly what you're saying but we also I think standards have to be changed across the board standards even have to be changed in black salons because what's happened for so long because black hair stylists haven't really been included in the greater hair world is that they've created this whole kind of they've had to do their own thing right they've had to create their own curriculums and kind of their own areas for expertise and but there's also been huge gaps in the knowledge that they have or huge gaps or huge misunderstandings about black hair and hair color because typically when we go into hair schools, we learn about styling and the final product. We don't actually learn all of the scientific bits and pieces mm. that say a white girl might get when she goes to hair school and learns all about hair color. So there's so many different things that we actually have to come together on because it's left gaps on both sides. Right. Yeah. So our final question. Yes. Let's talk about these melanin pool popping events oh. in oh. summer's past. Um, we're just I like, have not been in the pool all summer. <laughs> either. I'm all, dying. All I want is to feel weightless and just. That's it. I just, um, all I want is I just want to drink and I just yes. want to float. And I'm yes. always in the pool. Like when summer comes and the pool's open, I'm the first person there. And this is like. It's not really summer. I keep telling like it's not summer. We're we're gonna go from spring to fall because yeah. I didn't swim at all. I'm like someone's gonna have to spray me with the sprinkler. <laughs> I might need to find an indoor pool when the time comes. You know, right? Like, yeah, it's, uh, except not to rub it in and take this out of the podcast, but I have been to the. I pool know you times. have been, you asshole. <laughs> but yeah, so, apartment uh, and they open, and I I'm. We, you know, all the precautions, all the things. No, I would go um, if I had. Oh, I would absolutely I, go. I just don't have one to go to. <laughs> exactly. That's the point. And I'm just afraid if I go to one where there are public people that I'm like, no, I'm going to have to cut somebody out. 
Yeah. Like, and then that's gonna ruin my pool experience. And I don't want I don't want to have that memory of the pool with COVID. I just feel like no yes. pool, just no pools in summer. And I also don't I also go at like off times. Like yes. I'll go in the middle of the of a Wednesday or like early. Yep. So I know there's not a lot of there's only like ten people total. Because yep. like I do kids. get a little nervous of like us all just like piling up in the pool. All the but, pool. Okay, anyway. So <laughs> These melanin pool popping events, tell us what inspired them. Um, they honestly were inspired just by, there's still just such a huge, when it comes to black bodies being in the swimming pool, there's still a huge issue with it. There's still a huge level mm -hmm. of segregation. Um, there's also a level of like insecurity on black people's part about going to the pool and being at the pool, um, knowing how to swim, not knowing how to swim. Yeah. So, for me, um, my mom did not learn how to swim growing up. So she has always been a little nervous about getting in the pool. Like she'll go to the short end, like three feet, four feet, but don't ask her to go any further than that. Like she's not doing it. So when she had both my sister and I, she was very adamant that we were going to have swimming lessons like from the jump. And literally, I think my sister and I had like swimming lessons in like six months. Like we were the, the babies in the pool swimming, that sort of thing. So like, I love the pool. Like I'm in the pool. I don't care. I'm getting my hair wet. Like I'm not, don't be that girlfriend to come with me and be like, I can't get my hair wet. Don't be that friend because I'm like, well, then you don't want to come. You don't want to come to the pool with me. So I'm trying to have a tea party under here. I'm trying to <laughs> like, stop hey, it. My sister to likes to have the tea parties under the water all the time. Stop knowing my life. And baptism. Yeah, my life, Did you be trying to be a mermaid, singing the little mermaid songs? You better stop it right now. Look. Did you synchronize swimming? I used to synchronize swimming. We used to fake synchronize yes. swim. Yes. It was the, the um I used to do like the Martha Washington, like you put your yes! Yes! back. And then also, did anybody else do baptisms? Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, In the name yeah, of the yeah. Father, Father the, Son, the Holy Ghost. I just like crossed myself as if I grew up Catholic and I didn't, but uh, oh, yeah, you, do, you gotta you wait in the sermon. water. Yeah, yeah. yes. yes. I, don't know, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> no, I love, I love the pool. So it was just so basically melanin pool popping came from me going to the pool here in Nashville and being like, why am I the only person here? Mm. Like looking around and being like, it's just me. Like why? So Two summers ago, um, a friend of mine and I was like, let's just invite some people to the pool. And we did it. And we invited, and it was very small. It really started out, it was like 10 people, maybe at the most. Like me and my best friend, a few other people. Um, and we started just going to a place in Nashville here called Pinewood Social, which doesn't really have a pool. They're like little hot tubs is really what they are. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a pool. It was some water for us to get in and have a good time. They had drinks, food, all that kind of stuff. So. It started with that, and then the next summer that I was getting ready to do it, I had made some flyers and kind of asked my graphic designer to kind of like help me brand the event. Um, and I guess word had gotten out about it, but I didn't know that word had gotten out about it. Like, I didn't know, I just wanted to go to the pool. And last summer, the first one I had, I think at our biggest pool pop, and we had over a hundred people show up. Um, yes. So I was like, excited but my goal was also like just to get black people to the pool you don't want to get in the pool you don't have to um but it was just a show of like solidarity and support of like we are here and we are allowed to be at this pool and we are allowed to be in this pool and having fun but also to just bring together all the cool black folks creatives queer folk mm -hmm. in a space to show that like y'all can all hang out I mean, I had my corporate friends and my creative friends and just people from every walk of life coming to the pool and realizing that they could all have a good time with each other and they didn't have to like look at each other funny. So, you know, it's an opportunity for people to come together, to have a good time, to network, but to also be like, we're allowed to be in this space and we spend money just like anybody else. And it's also not a negative connotation. I think a lot of times when black people show up at swimming pools, especially if they're in nice hotels and things like that, there's just this negative connotation. And it's like, it's a pool. So we can be loud. We can be just right. like, it's a swimming pool. Right. 
So this is expectation that you need to act a certain way and be a certain way. So pool popping was the opportunity for me to do that. And last summer, it just took off. So my goal is hopefully next summer, it'll be even tighter and I'll be able to brand it even more. I mean, we'll get more people to come out, but I just want to continue to do it here in Nashville. Um, so that people feel safe and can come to the pool. I know I had some friends and people who I didn't even know who were like, that was the first time I went to the pool and had a good time, but also felt okay. Wow. Um, and okay to be naked because I don't wear any clothes at the pool. I mean, I do. I wear bathing suits, but I like the skimpiest of bathing. Like, <laughs> give it to me. We got a string bikini. Let's do it. <laughs> um, but I didn't even realize that by my doing that, that I was like empowering other yes. women to be like, oh, like I can be naked. Yes. And I can wear that, like, let it out. Like, I don't care if this string gets caught in my back fat. I'm going to wear the string bikini and I'm going to be cute and I'm going to look good. I'm going to look just as good as the size two yes. person who has on a string bikini. And no one's going to have a problem with it. And no one better not dare say anything to me about it. <laughs> and who knows? A boob might pop out because that's what happens at the pool sometimes. You're welcome. Right. <laughs> And you're welcome. Exactly. Enjoy it. Just enjoy it, okay? Yeah, just empowering that. And there were just so many different folks of all genders that came to me who were like, I just felt empowered. And I've never taken my shirt off at the pool or I've never actually Mm -hmm. gotten in the water and dunked my head. So my thing is summertime is my favorite time of year and I want to have a good time. But it was also a time for me to create a safe space for Black people to come to be at the pool, to woosah, for it to be their kind of like Sunday church, Mm. to meet up with your friends, have some drinks, eat some good food, maybe meet some new people. But to really just to be able to come together and have a good time, it doesn't have to be about where you're from or what you're doing or what kind of people can go to this party or what, because everybody was allowed to be there. You could come in a snowsuit if you wanted to. You are welcome at pool popping. Now I'm gonna ask if you're hot and if you're okay. Are you gonna pass out? Do I need to get you a drink? <laughs> Everyone is welcome. So Curry, how can our listeners find you? Give us all your social plugs. Cool. On mainly everywhere, my main account is Bespoke Curry, um, and that's B as in boy, E S. P-O-K-E, bespoke, like custom, and then my last name, Curry, like the spice, C-U-R-R-Y. Really good handle. Yes. Um, And it is, that's everywhere. So that's my website, it's bespokecurry.com. That's my main Instagram. Um, That's my Facebook page. And honestly, from that page, you can find all my other info. And then my hair Instagram is bead and cowrie, like hair beads and cowrie shell, and then and spelled out. So B-E-A-D. A-N-D-C-O-W-R-I-E. Awesome. So yeah, those are the places where you can find me. Let's talk about snacks, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the sweet things and the salty that we eat. Let's talk about snacks. It's time for Let's Talk About Snacks, where we literally name the snacks that we're into right now to normalize non-restrictive eating. All right, welcome to Let's Talk About Snacks. It is July of 2020. We've been in quarantine for 14 years. Mm-hmm. And forever. that's right. <laughs> forever and forever. And the thing that's keeping me going are cherry popsicles. You know what? I haven't had that. You know, you have a good point. Old school freeze pops. I take that back. We have freeze pops in the freezer right now. The like push and ones? The br- the push ones just that are oh, purely yeah. like Kool-Aid. It's just sugar and flavor. Yeah. I don't even think the flavors really differ. Right. <laughs> it's like they all kind of taste cherry. They all kind of taste yeah. lemony. Like it's all the same flavor. But yes, yeah. cold things, especially in this heat that we're having. It's almost yeah. 100 degrees today. Honestly, I think I'm just getting like the Kroger brand. Like they're real Ooh. skinny. Yep. White wrapper. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. They come in cherry, orange, and grape. Yeah, classic summertime. That's it. Taking me back to my childhood pool days. Just yeah. Like getting that dollar and going yep. up to little concessions. <laughs> yeah. Or you eat all the reds and then you go back to the box yes. and it's only like yellow and grape left and you don't want to eat them. Yes. But your mom's like, hey, you're going to finish those before I buy a new box. And you're yeah. Like, I guess I'm going to have yeah. to enjoy these. That's I guess exactly my tongue's right. gonna be purple. Cool. Exactly. 
<laughs> the way it goes. Curry, tell me what you're into right now. So I just made a vegan peach pound cake. Oh. Um. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. So I'm like a serious, like I like to cook a lot. Um, okay. And so I'm typically vegan, but then when COVID hit, I was like, mm, no, not going to be vegan, not doing it. I'm going to enjoy some things. So I did for a few months, about three months. But then I got back to it and I've been back on it for about a month. I really wanted a pound cake. Yeah. And I'm subscribed to like the New York Times, all of their things, but they have a food section. Uh-huh. And it really probably should be illegal because they send you like recipes and like updates, like what to cook this week. And of course, there was a peach pound cake in the what to cook. Oof. So yeah, I cooked that. It's still in... There's like half a pound cake left, but it's delicious. And honestly, it just tastes like a regular pound cake. Yeah. It's the icing that you make, which is made out of like confectioner sugar and peach puree. Ooh. That's the, like, it's my new pound cake. Like, that's what I'm making to show off for people. That's what I'm making from here on out. Hold on, I'm going to need to get a yeah. Yeah. wipe off my saliva. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> my summer go-to is watermelon all the time. Just like... Stop it. Watermelon is my favorite thing. It's my favorite. One of my favorite. Th- it's definitely one of my top 10 best. favorite things of all the things. But okay. watermelon. <laughs> so can I ask you this? Have you had dried watermelon? What? No. So I have two packs. I'll have to show them to you <gasps> in a bit. But it's the best. If you add one is it's good and gather at Target makes freeze okay. dried or not. It's just regular dried. And it's so good. And the seeds and everything are in it. And uh-huh. You eat the seeds. And then I found another one at World Market, and that's my addiction for this summer because I also love watermelon everything. Everything. I always forget that World Market has such fun food stuff. Oh, the best food stuff. Yeah. The best. So the texture of this freeze-dried watermelon. It's like chewy, but the rind is in. Like you would think watermelon would turn into nothing if it was dried, right? Because you're like, oh, there's nothing there. It's water. But no, it's like chewy almost like a fruit roll-up but it's watermelon okay definitely have to get some of this yeah Um, watermelon is it also harks me back to my childhood because my grandmother grew watermelon um she lived up in ohio and she had just like a kind of baby garden it wasn't like huge but she had kind of a baby fruit and veggie garden so she'd get a few watermelons out of it over the year it was so i always looked forward to that um but I grew up in a house where people put salt on their watermelon, and I was my like, no. Yeah, my grandmother, <laughs> both of my grandmothers did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. like, what's happening? No, but you don't this, like it? Absolutely not. You're negating The theory the- is that it makes it sweeter, though. The theory is that it makes the watermelon sweeter. Really? I don't agree. I've had it. I've had it. That's obviously. what my grandmother I- used to tell me. She's like, it actually makes it sweeter. And I was like, oh, it's just not my thing. Have you put lime on it ever, Kendra? Ooh. somebody told me that recently i don't remember who it was but they said like squeeze a little lime on there i'm just a purist i, can see that. I want just the water just watermelon <laughs> okay you're like bougie about it you're like mm, don't bring me your fancy watermelon is I that even... your watermelon What's <laughs> where it was that grown it <laughs> right. <went> from whole foods <laughs> right i want it to it's have organic. seeds it better yes. have seeds i'm, I'm done with seedless well. watermelon is it vegan? you can't handle is it heavy <laughs> You don't play because somebody would ask that. They'd be like, I'm looking for a vegan watermelon. You'd be like, it's a watermelon. Stop. It's fruit. You're like, we don't carry that. Get out of here. We don't have that. We just have regular watermelon here. We just regular watermelon. Don't know anything about a vegan watermelon. I love it so much. But Uh, a lot of people don't like it because they think it is too sweet sometimes hmm. i'm very suspicious of anyone ever commenting on things that are too sweet and here's why because sometimes that's true like i'll say like white chocolate might be a little like here i am like going about to say with the exception of white chocolate not chocolate chocolate, which is a conversation we've already had but i'm i was just about to say that it's cocoa butter see we're on the same i'm with you guys it's not with you guys but i feel like a lot of times when people say "Mm, it's just too sweet for me it's quoted for like healthism and like i'm a little bit better than you because my palate like i don't have to have sweet things like i just need yeah like this thing with sparkling water and i'm like look sometimes i don't want a flavor i want some sugar in my sparkling water like i want to taste the full flavor not just a hint all this to say in quarantine all snacks are great 
Thank you so much for listening. Oh, don't you just love curry? We honestly, we really were obsessed. We were like, um, can you just like stick around? Like we'll stop recording and just like hang out. Um, I'm here for the pool parties. Uh, I'm actually thinking there's going to be one in Richmond. If so, if you happen to be in the Richmond area, be sure you go follow RVA, which stands for Richmond, Virginia fatties, F-A-T-T-I-E-S. There's a whole new, whole new community built in here, um, of doing some fun fat centric things. So please, uh, join us. And we are talking about a pool party at some point. Um, it might be a little too cold right now, but we also have the river. So we'll see what happens. Ooh, I love that for you. Yeah. Yeah. So look out for episode three coming up in a couple weeks. Follow us on Instagram and underscore nobody asked for this and join our Patreon, y'all. We'll see you next episode. Bye-bye.